Chelsea fans to the newest episode of the Blues on Parade podcast where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else and I really don't want to say this out loud well actually no we're gonna talk shit about Everton um but not Frank well he's off limits strictly for obvious reasons um but boys first game of the season is finally in the books it has begun three points not the prettiest start, but um, I guess before we kind of dive into it, we'll start with Andres. You're about to get married, my man. The clock is ticking. What is it now? <laughs> Six days from today? Five days from today? Uh, it is. By the time people are listening, it'll be four days away. Four days. Yeah. The final stretch. Be married. I'll be a married man by the time we kick off against Spurs. And then in a month after your wedding, I'm going to steal your thunder and get married myself. <laughs> so we'll have two-thirds of the pod getting married within a month. Hell yeah. Pretty insane. Song's a lucky can't, one. Song yeah. can't get tied down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm my own free spirit. But um, yeah, and we're, we're going to be flying out to Houston Zach and I to go to the wedding, so I'm really excited about that. Um, really bummed that you can't sneak away Sunday morning to watch a Tottenham match. <laughs> you can. I, I mean, yeah, that would be a fantastic way to start the marriage. It's like, hey, we just got married. Let me go to a bar full of people and leave you Andreas, within 24 I, hours. I told you to tell her this. We're going to be married forever. The boys are only in town for the weekend. Like, they, she, like once you tell her like that, she'll, she's got to understand. Oh, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I think I have a better chance of telling her, hey, this is the only thing I ask. Let's watch this game in bed from our <laughs> hotel room. Yeah. And after that, we can go back to talking about our wedding. Maybe that'll fly. You can yeah. just get her really drunk, Andres. Just make sure she blacks out. I, mean, we, I think we're going to end up waking up hungover. Like, it's, 11, it's a 10 a.m. game, right? You better. Hmm. We'll, make, Open we'll bar, make sure baby. you wake up hungover. There's <laughs> no way you're not going to be smashed like beyond belief at your own wedding. There's no way. Well, me too. I think we all have to join in on that. Um, let's talk about this uh, Chelsea-Everton match. I kind of want to start off real quick. Um and address a tweet that I saw by Mark Worrell. Um, he is like, he's an author. He's written a bunch of books about Chelsea. He said, public service announcement. Anyone who finds the need to criticize any aspect of a Chelsea away win and clean sheet on the opening day of the season, especially after the change of ownership, etc., needs to give their, and I think it was a typo. He might just say, give their willy a proper wobble. Thank you. And all of the comments are pretty much agreeing with it. I hate I hate that mentality, man. I really hate that mentality because it's like ignorance is bliss. We barely beat a relegation side by a penalty. That was, our only goal scored was by a penalty. I think we have every reason to criticize. I mean, to say, like, 
you can't criticize anything about this match because of the re- end result. It's like you didn't you didn't watch the match. There's a lot to be worried about, I think, um, and stuff that we were worried about going into the season kind of ringing true in that match. And it's just crazy to think like that starting eleven was almost exactly the same starting eleven that won us the Champions League final. The only difference being Raheem Sterling upgrading uh, Timo uh, Timo Werner, mm-hmm. and then arguably Koulibaly an upgrade over uh, Rudiger, if not you know on par. Um, mm-hmm. So you know the fact that we looked like that. It's really it's 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 okay to criticize. You can't could just, be worse. Yeah, like you can't just watch that match for ninety minutes, or it was more like a hundred and ten minutes with all of the stoppages and everything, um, and say, oh, you know what, away win, first game of the match, three point, you know, three points. I have nothing to worry about. There's nothing to criticize. I, I don't like that mentality. I disagree. I, well, okay. With me? To a certain extent, yeah. To a certain extent, I do agree because I do think that we're allowed to criticize. I don't think that's off limits whatsoever. We're allowed to criticize that we saw three at the back. We're allowed to criticize the fact that the midfield wasn't creative. We're allowed to criticize Kai Havertz and Mason Mount for basically being invisible for large parts of the game. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can criticize the team for. But again, you take it with a grain of salt. All of the external factors going on, new owner, preseason, terrible travel schedule. I think the team's not even fit yet. We had, what, three hamstring cramps in the second half. Um, But look, I I just think worried is the wrong word. I think there should be a cause for concern. I think there's a couple red flags that could potentially derail our season down the line if we don't make the right changes and adjustments. But for me, a lot of it just comes down to we picked up the three points. We have the opportunity to improve. Now let's see what they do. Let's see yeah. if they actually do improve or not. So it's it, at this point, it's just kind of the team played themselves in a position to where they have to perform next game. Otherwise, then we should really be concerned. But for me, it's just a matter of I, I kind of agree with, with Mark Warrow, and I kind of agree with you. I'm more so, more so in the middle. It is a first game yeah. of the season, but at the same time, you do have to point out the obvious. Well, a first game of the season, again, if we were out there, taking 40 shots, creating 10 big chances, and we just, it was just one of those days where the ball didn't want to hit the back of the net. Sure, you know, there's days where you're unlucky. There's days where Jordan Pickford can play like freaking prime Buffon. But it was none of those days. Like, none of those were the reasons why we looked poor. Like, that's not why the scoreline was 1-0. Scoreline was 1-0 because our XG was 0.6. Like, this Everton team took till the last week of the season to get um to stay up they lost their best attacking player they lost their starting striker a couple days ago and arguably they had the better chances in this match and they lost and they lost both their center backs in the match (laughs) in the same match and decore had a moment of idiocy where he grabbed chilwell from behind he decided that chilwell was a prime Ronaldo or something and was afraid of his shooting and grabbed him and pulled him down. Like it's only because I, he got away with that first time against against Sterling. Yeah. He was like, oh, I guess I can just wrap up and tackle people in the box. I yeah, I, I get like being rusty is one thing, 
but seeing horizontal passing over and over again, seeing five touches that end up in a backwards pass when we get to the third, the final third, these are things that should have been corrected. This this team has now been with Tuchel long enough to where you can coach those riskless zero balls passing things out of a player and we have it like those are mm-hmm. things that you can tell them look forward try to put a pass down the middle and nobody does it and this was arguably our strongest 11 and so to not see anybody try that is just very disheartening because that means sure finishing isn't going to be our strong suit but neither is trying to create things in a trying to be creative in how we create chances. It just sideways, sideways, get it out to the wing backs and cross. I mean, the so. only, the only attacking threat we had in the game really was Raheem Sterling. And the most progressive pass we had all game was Koulibaly's pass to Chilwell for the penalty. Our most mm-hmm. progressive pass in the entire match came from our left sided center back. Just to give yeah. you a, just to give you perspective. It just wasn't inspiring. If we would have missed 50 shots, I would have felt better. But it wasn't one of those games. This wasn't us at Burnley last season where Nick Pope literally saved 18 shots. Mendy had more to do in this match than Pickford. And that's that's the part that I'm bugged by. We let Damari Gray, Gordon, and McNeil have tons of space in transition. Like if N'Golo Conte didn't exist... Who knows how this game would have ended. Koulibaly so. had a last-man tackle. Thiago Silva made a oh, really crucial tackle yeah. in the 1v1 with Damari Gray. Mendy probably didn't should come out to get a ball. and Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. those again, those things might be rust, though. Like, the keeper didn't read the ball well. Like, that I can give. But, like, not trying to have patterns of play. Those are things that, yes, you can travel and whatnot and be tired. If you miss a pass, sure. But not even attempting those things. We're... When N'Golo Conte has one of your best shots in the game, that's that's troubling. Like in in no successful team should I ever say that N'Golo Conte had the best shot from outside the box in 90 minutes. So mm-hmm. I'm with Sam. I think that this is a, a troubling start. Yeah, I guess my main point was just like to say that you can't criticize anything, like anything about this match is is asinine, but. It wasn't all negative. I mean, I know it's from, you know, how we started the podcast. It might seem like, you know, everything <laughs> was dreadful. But a couple bright spots. All of our new signings looked fantastic. Um, I mean, let's, let's start off with Koulibaly. Zach, um, what did you see from him? He continues to be my pick for signing of the summer. Um, I think for one, um, he's not just a Rudiger replacement. He's an upgrade. Um, I, 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 I'm getting sick and tired of seeing it that yes, we, something along the lines of, yes, we've finally signed a player to replace Rudiger. We finally found a replacement for Rudiger. He's not a, he's not a replacement. Um, it's a complete upgrade. <laughs> the ball, the ball progression for me is the one thing that I'm probably the most impressed with for him. I know his numbers in the Serie A were impressive in terms of, you know, his past success rate, his dribble success rate, and ball progressions in general. But seeing it in the Premier League um, was just kind of something else. I think he possesses a ball playing ability that Rudiger really didn't have. 
Yes, Tony did have a range of passing, but his passing was erratic at times. And Koulibaly just seems a lot more assured of himself. He fizzes the ball in um, on the ground a lot more than Rudiger did as well, which is a huge upgrade. I mean, we saw it with Chilwell's goal. That's a midfielder's pass. That's a pass that you see a number 10 make. You know, just shift it to your to, to your weaker foot to create the angle and fizz it right into the box. It's, it's For me... It's uh, it's just really exciting to have a guy like this, and it only further backs up my point that he has that Thiago Silva effect on this back line. The veteran leadership, um, you know, the ability to make that last man tackle when you need to, um, you know, just his overall game in general was really impressive. He had 11 final third entries, which is insane for a defender. He won seven of his duels. He completed every single one of his duels and dribbles in the first half. Um, and I mentioned that last minute tackle as well. That probably saved us three points, but you can also probably give Tiago Silva credit for his also. Um, but again, look, our two most veteran defenders on the pitch, um, making two insane stops to secure the victory for us. I mean, that's what they're paid to do. So for me, Koulibaly still the signing of the summer, man. He is such an upgrade and it's just so nice to have one, someone back there that's that hit the ground running. That he, and we knew he was going to be a sure thing too, but mm-hmm. he's kind of transcended being a sure thing. He's, he's, he's for sure an upgrade, without a doubt. If I can just add one quick thing about his progression. You, you said 11 final third entries. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that Thiago Silva tackle you were talking about, Koulibaly was in the box, in the opposing side's box at that moment, and he really left our back line exposed. Um, so there were a couple times where I thought that he pushed up too much and, you know, you just have Tiago and Dave back there. It's not really the most solid. And, and, you know, Chilwell is, is pushed up as well on the left side. So that left side is wide open and you saw a lot of like most of Everton's chances came off counterattacks. And I think that he might have, gone a little too far with this progression well, to counter to, your point if he doesn't get that far up the pitch we don't win a penalty because he doesn't make that pass to chill mm-hmm. well because no, he was right outside the box for that one so it's kind of like you take it with a grain of salt but my, my point is like i'm way more reassured having him in those positions than i am having rudy in those positions because sure. i just think his decision making is way it's just mm-hmm. more efficient and, and one more thing on that is Koulibaly being in that position isn't the issue. It's the fact that nothing offensive came out of the fact that he was that far forward that leads to the counterattack. Somebody didn't shoot. Somebody didn't cross. Somebody yeah. didn't finish the, the didn't attacking make a run possession or, yeah. to where there was a turnover, which is my – again, I, I keep harping on it. That's not on him to finish the play. Like You teach players that as a coach, you want your possession to end with a corner kick a goal kick or a goal. You do not want to lose the ball, especially against a team playing five at the back, like Everton, where I think the kid's name was Patterson and the Ukrainian guy, Mikolenko are, are energetic enough to just burst forward and catch us with Tiago and Aspie twiddling their thumbs. So it's, it's more than that. I don't blame Koulibaly because we had like 70 something percent possession again. It's just like, somebody has to decide to make that run. Somebody has to decide to pull the trigger and, and we just don't do that, which does make Koulibaly look bad as, a, as an effect of that. Yeah. Um, 
Andreas, did you want to talk a little bit about Cucurella's performance? Mark Cucurella. So I'll, I'll stick with him. I, I was really excited about this signing. I'm shocked that he was even in the bench so quickly. But he came on in the 75th minute. Chilwell, we talked about him being very far forward and props to him for even getting to 75 minutes because he is still very much not in shape. But Mark Kukreya, for a guy that had one full practice with the side, looked right at home. I thought that the fact that he came on and he was almost, I mean, his first like five or six passes were zipped into the feet or into the path of every teammate he was looking for. They were perfectly weighted. They were right on the ground, so they were easy to control on the other end. He was high energy moving forward, high energy getting back. I think he had probably our best setup of the match with his cross to Sterling that unfortunately got uh, blocked by Mikalenko. He also had the only successful corner in the whole match. Like, I'm not even joking. He took one corner at the end, and it was the only corner that beat the front post or didn't get kicked all the way over everybody in the box. Um, Again, super comfortable in possession moving forward. He was actually trying to push the ball forward instead of admitting defeat and going straight backwards. I think that it brings a lot of options as well. He can probably play alongside Chilwell whenever the the time is, you know, right as a left center back. And he can maybe even do what Aspilicueta uh, often did where he, if he saw the right chance, make that run into the box as a center back. I just thought he was very composed. It's not easy to come into a match where, you know, you're, you're against a, a tough defensive low block ready to counter on you. The fans are on their side. They're pushing for just that one half chance. And and I just thought his composure was amazing. And his uh, fan chant is already goaded. So I'm pretty happy for Mark Kukurea's debut. That's the one where he eats paella and drinks Australia. He eats paella, <laughs> drinks Australia, and his, head's fuck, his hair is fucking massive. So. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add on him. I mean, he was he was really impressive. I think... Again, it's not just the backup wing back here. I think this is a guy that can that can definitely push for some starts. So and seems I, like I just he fit in just fine. One last thing, I'd say, and this is not a slight to Chilwell's performance. I just think it's, yeah. it's something about the physicality. I think Kukurea should start against Spurs. I think that you need a guy that can that is in the full fitness to compete with a Spurs side that is healthy and fully immersed into Conte's three four three. I think it'll be extremely important to win the wingback positional battle. And and we can't have a 60% Chilwell in a London Derby this early in the season. Yeah, as a Chilwell diehard fan, it was worrying because Kukurea looked looked great. I mean, like, just his passes, the zip on his passes, it was so crisp. Like, he... Yeah, he looked really good. Um, but, you know, as, as a Raheem Sterling skeptic, I he, he did impress me a little bit. But I think he's just falling in line with, you know, the Chelsea front line of, of the last 
three, four years where they're extremely unlucky. He had that one chance that got blocked. He had another chance that was called back from offsides. Um, his creativity, I mean, he was definitely our most he creative. He got bent over like a red light district whore. Dude, Raheem, <laughs> why did you arch your back like that, bro? The ball Raheem. was underneath his hips. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, there, was no, there was nowhere else for his ass but to go. still, but, bro, uh, he, <laughs> the arch in your back, bro, like, you dude, can't dude, do Corey that. Corey and Yeri Mina looked way too happy doing that, too. It was... Yeri was... Mina, he, he, there was intent behind that, for sure. And uh, I did not like him after that match. Sterling, um, Sterling does have a dump truck, though. Yeah, and he, he just has... I've been like, having one like that since Hazard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, nice to have, it's nice to have it back. Um, but out of our front three, he was definitely the most creative. Um, he had two key passes. Um, three. He won three dribbles. Uh, I think he attempted like four or five. So I thought he looked okay. I think he's still... I mean, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still not 100% sure what our formation was. I don't know if he played three or two up top. Um, it looked like a little bit of both. So he was playing centrally, m- more central um, throughout the match. Um, so, you know, I think he's a little bit out of position playing centrally. But it's just, you know, Kai Havertz just is not doing it right now as a striker. Um, so, like, Raheem Sterling's our next best option um zach we had a, mm-hmm. our 20 dollar bet on connor gallagher on um, what what was the exact phrase whether he'll have a good season whether a good he has season a good to andres's season. standards yeah. yeah so he did make his debut in the in extra time of the second half um did you think it was a good good so far it was a solid character? debut i thought his kit looked very tidy <laughs> His socks yeah. were pulled all the way up. He didn't trip while he was running out onto the field. I think his biggest contribution was standing in front of the ball after we fouled one of the uh, mm-hmm. one of the Everton players just to kill some time. But no, he headed a ball. He won a header. He's gonna get. He's gonna get his time. Um, and you know, it was just a matter of getting fresh legs on the pitch at that point, and just to kind of kill time and use that extra sub. So, not much else to it. Um, first match goes as a undecided yeah. no good bad <laughs> i'll have an excel sheet that i'll keep yeah. updating um so yeah the sample size is not big not good, yet. Not bad. um armando broja also made his debut um he came on for um kai havertz which may be uh a sign of, of things to come but he did not really play centrally he was playing more wide I think that's because he was a it was a like for like swap with Kai Havertz who was playing more wide, um, but yeah, I mean it wasn't technically his debut, but you know coming back from loan, and you know with an arguably a uh, an op- a big opportunity for him to have a big role this year. Uh, Zach, what did you think of him? I think he I think he actually looks like a striker. Unlike Kai Havertz, um, I mean, I've I've been tooting his horn all summer long. I, I I think he does have a chance to earn some playing time. I'm glad that he stayed because 
We talked about it before. His pathway to winning that striker position is laid out for him. Timo is leaving, which we'll get into in a little bit, but that was kind of expected. And we know that Kai didn't necessarily make that position his last season. So it's pretty much up for grabs. So based on the evidence that I saw, he he brings you, like the Kukureya argument, that physicality that Kai just completely lacks, that ability to hold off defenders and you know pull, up, pull center backs out of position um, to open up spaces for your teammates. I think he could provide all of that for us. And not only that, he does have a little bit of Diego Costa about him, just in the way he moves and the aggression in which he attacks the ball. So I like this kid. I want him to play more. And I know we, we're going to get into it a little later, but I mean, we'll explain our, I'll at least explain my reasoning as to why I think he should even start against Spurs because frankly, Kai just didn't show us anything. And in the five to 10 minutes, Broja was out there. He showed us way more than Kai's 80 something minutes. Yeah. To put it into simpler terms he played 15 minutes and got just as many shots on target as kai havertz who played 75 with the full starting 11 so yuck yeah yuck um hey and also the good thing if if i'm really hoping for broja to take that starting role i got him in fantasy in our fantasy draft league man did i have a good first week i'm currently in first with 58 points Got that uh, cheeky Zinchenko and Martinelli double. You know, the, I got the first goal and assist of the season. Um, so, and Mitrovic, thank God. I mean, that that fool, he, 13 points from him. Loving it. Uh, Andreas in fourth place right now. Zach in seventh. Still a long season. Yeah, but, not a good week. Yeah, he's still got a long time to go. At least you're not Jason. 14 points right now on last. Foden and Grealish let me down, man. I didn't get anything from those guys. It's Bone Daddy Cool's son with 14 points. He's a United fan, so that, you know, it's it's it was a comparable performance to his uh, Red Devils. So let's talk a, a little bit more about the lack of creativity this match, because I think that was the main the main talking point and the main gripe that Chelsea fans who were brave enough to complain about the match, um, that was their main gripe. Again, you know, Twitter was divided. There was the half that I was talking about where, you know, we're, we're just happy we got the three points, early season rust, late window activity, can't, you know, can't criticize the team. And the other half, think the world is ending and that Chelsea are going to be playing in Europa uh, next season, which very could well, you know, I, I can, uh, I can say I'm in both parties, honestly, but um, where does the lack of creativity come from? Zach, what did, what did you see? Oh man, there's so many reasons, but if I just kind of had to narrow it down to one, it was probably the, Biggest omission from the starting 11, I thought, was Kovacic. You know, for a guy that was our best midfielder last year and also our most progressive midfielder, just in terms of picking out the final ball, especially early on in the season where he was releasing the ball early um, to our strikers who were making runs. I thought he was a big miss. Now, you could say it's the system and the fact that we're set up with two midfield pivots. And if you stick Jorginho next to Conte, you're you're literally not going to get any sort of attacking output whatsoever. Yes, that's part of the reason. But the fact of the matter is Tuchel hasn't shown signs of deviating from the back three. So if that means that we're going to continue playing a midfield two 
if we want any creativity out of it, Kovacic has to be in there. It needs to be Kova plus one. Um, you know, he's the only guy that could take a defender on the spin and dribble into spaces, pass into spaces. Um, he releases the ball quickly, which is something that, as much as we love Jorginho, that's that's one of his my biggest gripes is just he hangs on to the ball way too long. And now when you have Conte playing next to a guy like Jorginho, it forces Conte to sort of play out of his depths. And he sort of dribbles himself into trouble sometimes or tries to play those risky passes, which isn't his forte. I would just rather have a guy like Kovacic there, there doing that thing. And I think our attack would be a lot more efficient and better off for it. But one thing I am going to say before I kind of pass this off, um, I did mention N'Golo Kante. Even though attacking-wise he didn't look that great, I think the biggest silver lining is he looked healthy. And defensively, he looked like the old Kante. He was freaking everywhere. So I think during Spurs or for Spurs, the formula has to be Kovacic and Kante in that midfield if we're going to run that midfield pivot um, you know, in that three, four, three. Um, I, I mean, obviously you guys know since last season that I've been trying to figure out if Jorginho's allergic to vertical passing, but for me, it goes down to this weird need to have, once you get to the final third, creating these triangles if, if you picture the opponent's box imagine a triangle of our players between the side of the box and the out of bounds for throw-ins there is always a triangle that includes the wing back the center mid and one of the front three players which means that now there is only potentially one or two players in the box so these little triangles are happening where these three players are not moving, they're passing the ball to each other in maybe spaces of five yards, and 90% of the time the ball goes all the way back to our center backs. I don't know why we like to corner ourselves in these positions. I don't see the tactical benefit to it. And in the off chance that you get a ball into the box, Raheem Sterling is surrounded by six foot four monsters and how the hell is he supposed to beat those guys every single time to a cross? I just don't get it. I don't get why we're so allergic to making a run in behind. That's a through ball into the box. I don't get why we have to go to the corner when the goal is in a central position on the pitch. And it just seems like it's, it's been washed into their brain that that's what they have to do. I don't get how we always get into that same spot. The over-reliance on the wingbacks is concerning at this point because at the end of the day, they're defenders. If Chilwell and Reese James are leading the goal scoring or the goal, cre- uh, you know, goal contribution numbers, that is a cause of concern to me. They can be the greatest fullbacks, wingbacks in the world, but you pay the big bucks to attackers to do the goal contributions. And right now we are, this system is way too reliant on the wingbacks to do everything, which makes it way too easy to defend against us. Yeah. I mean, you, you said it, you answered your own question. It's the system. It's, it's not the players. It's, it's the system. Really. We, we, the Tuchel wants to play out wide. He wants to utilize the wingbacks and his, in, in the attack. I mean, you saw last year, when Reese James and Chilla uh, got hurt, we looked we looked awful. We looked like like 
a completely different team. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what the right decision is as far as whether, you know, I think, I think we can find some sort of balance, you know, between attacking out wide, utilizing the wingbacks and, you know, making more vertical passes from our, our center mids to hopefully one of our front three making a run. I mean, I think the unfortunate thing is Kai Havertz was supposed to be that guy. And he's just looking lethargic out there. Like he, he's not running around. Like, like I get it. Like you can be calm and like play with like a, you know, cool demeanor, but you got to make runs out there, man. You're, you're our striker right now. And you have two goals and one assist in your last 21 Premier League matches. This is spanning a year. Since last August, he has two goals and one assist in the Premier League through 21 matches. That is, it's 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 almost it's you're, it's non. It, he's not contributing at all. That's that's my main my main point. But I don't know. I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity for Broja now. He's just not cutting it, unfortunately. I mean, we got rid of one of our um, headaches of a, of a German forward and, and Timo Werner. He's heading off to Leipzig, but we're stuck with Kai Havertz probably for a while, and it, it might go down as a bad as a bad signing at the end of the day. He's still young, with 22 years old, but I don't know, man. I do just want to point this out. I mean, one thing that frustrates me with Kai, it's not only the way he plays, it's sort of, he had a trend of this, especially at Bayern Leverkusen, where he would start the season out slow. And then in the middle of the season, he would sort of heat up and that's when he would put up the bulk of his numbers. But for me, it's like, I look at other young players in our squad, like Reese James. I look at guys like Mason Mount. And I see the way that they've transformed their bodies physically to sort of compensate for playing in the Premier League. Mason not put meat on his body. He's a little bit more muscular now. Reese James leaned out a lot, so he's able to play that wing back role. You know, he's already naturally physically strong. But I just don't see Kai doing that. It doesn't look like he's added anything to his game since he sort of came in. And maybe you can chalk that off to him just not being in form. And maybe he's just not able to show us anything because he's not in form. But I don't see any major changes. I mean, I'd like to see him maybe try a different approach this season than last season. Start throwing the fucking kitchen sink at it. Because guess what? You've been here three years now. And this year is when the clock starts ticking for you. You had your grace period to sort of, you know, get used to the to the to the rigors of the Premier League. And you had your grace period of being a young player. Everybody gave you a pass. You don't get that pass anymore. You scored in the Champions League final, you start for Germany. You have 70 plus million dollar price tag attached to your name. It's time to start showing out. So a big frustration of mine is just the fact that we, even though his playing style is languid and relaxed and sort of like, you know, it's, it's, he, he plays like he's too cool for school, but come into the season ready to cut someone's fucking head off, you know, like Mason Mount and Reese James changed their bodies completely so they can adapt and, Maybe that's how they found their way into here. I want to see Kai change something. Throw some meat on your body. Get a little bit lighter. Adapt your adapt your body. Adapt your way of playing. Adapt your freaking mindset. It just seems like he needs a full-on factory reset at this point. And that's just – it's frustrating because 
you expect a guy like this to come into the season hungrier than anyone else in the squad. And maybe that's the case. Maybe he just knows that it's his position because Lukaku's gone, Werner is gone, because we've seen him play with fire and play hard. I mean, he was bodying Sergio Ramos on the run to to win the Champions League. Yeah. And and this is the thing. I, I remember my actual lack of creativity point. I, I actually lost track of it because I got so fed up with those little dumb triangles that went backwards. It's this team has zero sense of vertical urgency. They One thing that we are not a counterattacking team. Therefore, we need to look and be attentive to when those vertical chances are there. Sam was talking about Raheem Sterling and, and his stats, and obviously it's not a stat that's kept, but I think I counted three or five runs where he was open. And those same runs, when you watch highlights of both Liverpool and City, those are the runs that scored. The Holland second goal was a vertical run, very similar to one that Sterling made. And it's that it takes us way too long to get to the shot within possession. We are not trying to to catch anybody off guard. And in a possession system, we already aren't doing that. But then we also don't have the guy, and even Kovacic may not be able to do this unless it's in transition, that is is seeing that three-dimensional threading the needle thing. Like, Kai is lackadaisical on the ball. He takes three touches before he makes a decision and it goes backwards. Reese James in this match did the exact same thing. He took way too long on the ball. We know Jorginho already does that. And and because these things are happening, our front three receive the ball with their back to goal. How is an attacking player supposed to attack the goal when they're facing their own? It's it's just simple like that. Like it's it's not a hard thing to to see and watch. You don't have to be a, a football genius to realize that you have to face the opponent's goal to score. I think that kind of gives you our answer to the Twitter questions then. Yeah, but before we get into that, like we're we've been pretty negative. Let's let's finish on a positive note, Andreas. What's the yeah. biggest positive you took away from this match? Uh we broke the curse. Three points at Goodison Park, which hasn't happened in four years. Uh, on top of that, Everton hadn't lost an opening day in 10 years, which was the longest streak in the Premier League. And, you know, again, ups and downs of preseason, losing to Arsenal, the traveling, all this other stuff. Um, I can't, I, again, we've, we've heard how the how wasn't thrilling, but we got more points than Liverpool and United this weekend. And we're supposed to be the team that's, in the worst situation. So it, it's a good silver lining to get three points when you look like shit. Um, that's at the end of the day, a sign of a good team that you can have an awful outing and still get the three points. So yeah, uh, um, that's my silver lining and that's how I let myself sleep at night. I think uh, for me, it's, it's our new signings and the fact that they were among our best players in the game outside of Conte and Thiago Silva and the big thing here is that it's just pointing to the fact that we bought the right players that fit Tuchel's profile and Tuchel's demands and what he wants. You know, we talked about Kukurea's passing and how he hardly made a mistake when he came on, hit the ground running. Koulibaly, I've been tooting his horn all summer long. 
Um, you know, and now you now you add a guy like Connor Gallagher to the equation, a Raheem Sterling as well, who played very well, was probably our best attacker in that front three throughout the game. Um, that's a big positive for me. So it 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 really encourages me as well because I know we're going to get to this later, but we do have a couple outgoings. So I know Tuchel hinted that we are possibly looking at more summer signings with the Fofana one included in that. So, you know, if we are going to make those signings, it just makes me that much more confident that those signings are the right ones. So, you know, we talk about the price tag for a guy like Fofana, for example, 80 million would make me scared for any other center back. But after seeing the way these signings turned out and the price tags we paid for them, it makes me a lot less worried that that 80 million is a, is a risk and more of a bargain now. All right, let's, let's get into uh, Twitter questions and uh, talk a little bit about some more transfer rumors. Not too many Twitter questions this week, and it, I think we answered most of them, honestly. This first one is from uh, Tom Ashdown on Twitter, at Tom Ashdown. I think that's his at. Um, he asked, Given our record at Goodison Park, I would take that result and performance every single time. Would you start Broja next match? Yes. Agreed. Send the message early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bench the guy's not back. Actually, I take it back. I wanted to start Pulisic, Sterling, and Mount. I say bench Kai more than immediately start Broja. I'd start Broja over. Start Broja. Yeah. Pulisic. I just, I just think Broja is the type of player that'll see that that'll recognize the fact that it's a London derby and just go out there and shit house and knock people over and just be a problem. Next question is from Ronnie Ashworth at CFC underscore Ronnie. He said, very happy, tough place to play, like the team that finished the game. Do we need a goal scorer? Could Broja be the answer? <laughs> same question. I think everyone is thinking the same thing. We need a creative thinking passer mm-hmm. as well. Just yeah. somebody that either has the final ball or can score. <laughs> we need one or the other. We, we, we do need It'd be great attack. if we get both. Yeah, yeah. And the last one from the Dork Knight, at Black Emoji, said a dub is a dub, but should we be concerned that we needed a penalty to secure the victory? I say yes. 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 Yeah. yes. It is concerning. I mean, we've already talked talked a lot about it, just the lack of creativity, lack of creating chances, the fact that we only beat an almost relegation side with two, you know, down two starting center backs by only scoring a penalty. I mean, it's just like a repeat of last year. That, that we, we relied far too much on penalties last year and just hasn't, you know, that issue hasn't been fixed. Um, so getting into the transfer rumors a little bit more, we already talked about Timo to Leipzig, 30 million euros, uh, is the, I mean, is it a? Tr- I thought it was a loan, with mm-hmm. an option to buy. It's a straight. Initially, up it was reported as a loan, but then it came out later that the deal was going to be permanent. I think it's right. a five-year deal, and we're recording on Monday night for those that are wondering. So as of now, um, Monday night, he is in Germany, and all he's waiting for is just the medicals. And there's a uh, obviously the, mm, the yeah, put I your tin that. hat the tin hat theory conspiracy theory is that with timo and then the the guy from salzburg if you guys want to remind me his J- name uh sesco sesco who is going to now join next season 
It sounds like Red Bull, uh, RB Leipzig, sorry, they're not technically Red Bull. RB Leipzig are trying to prepare for a Nkunku-less future because there is the room that, you know, that they will most likely have to sell him next year. So that's the big uh, conspiracy there, which is why they were willing to just go ahead and pull the trigger on Timo instead of letting, you know, his potential success in the Bundesliga get him new suitors that would benefit Chelsea uh, in the long term. Makes sense. Um, Marcus Alonso to Barcelona for 8 million euros. Damn. Thanks, God. It's been a long time (laughs) coming, and I think Marcus Alonso had his ups and downs with us. He, I think for the most part, was a good player for us, but... I think it is very polarizing amongst the fan base. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. I do just want to put it out there that both of these guys will always have my love and admiration. Just because I know Timo didn't score a lot of goals here, but again, he started the Champions League final. He always had a good attitude. Mm-hmm. He really didn't cause any, you know, any real issues off the field. It just never clicked with him on the field. And then with Marcus Alonso, I mean, the guy's been a servant for us for a long time. So... You know, I would say these guys would be missed, because, but they're not going to be. It's but at the it, same time, they were part of important teams for us. So it's, it's like no, no love, love lost, right? This, exactly. these are financial moves. We are clearing the wage bill. Sure, we're taking a couple of you would think L's, but Alonso won six, seven trophies here. So we bought him for like twenty-five, selling him for eight, past his prime. Not a big deal. Timo. That's a big wage cut, like wage cut win for Chelsea. Even though you lose twenty mil in in terms of profit, like you, you're going negative twenty in the net. But again, two hundred, almost three hundred k. Like these are financial moves, and Bowley is known for doing something like this. I believe in his first two winter windows with the Dodgers, he was taking financial losses just to make sure he could rebuild the roster. And for a guy that's never been in a director of football role, he's making the tough calls to allow us to have the chances of somebody like a Fofana, the Koulibaly's, the Sterling's all to come in and still be, you know, playing by the rules. Um, there's some more uh, unloading. Cho was given permission to leave. Uh, the teams that are rumored to be interested in Light, uh, Leicester, Dortmund, Southampton, um, potentially him going to Leicester, and uh, it wouldn't really be a player swap, but it would be included in um, a deal for Fofana, possibly. Um, according to Jacob Steinberg, Dortmund has joined the race for Cho, so you know it looks like right wing back cover may be coming in the shape of Dumfries or Kyle Walker Peters um, for us. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to add anything. I'm I'm all for it. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Cho is still only 21 years old. If if this is – it should have happened last year. I still think that Tuchel made that mistake last year when he was 20 and could have had the chance to prove himself going into what he didn't know was going to be such a transitional summer. But – He's 21. He may be changing his allegiance to Ghana, so maybe World Cup could be in his future. 
I think Ghana's in the World Cup, right? Or am I making that up? Um, they usually they are. That's miss. a fair assumption. They're usually decent. So there's those two things. He's 21. We still have the likes of Ziyech in the roster. We don't know what will happen next year, but we look like it's a front three, whether it'll be in a back three system or maybe in the future a back four. So if he bangs and he comes back, Tuchel has now proven that if you do well on loan, you get a good chance here. So I think it's a year too late, but I think it's the best move for both club and player. Hope he goes to Germany. And to confirm, Ghana is in the World Cup, Group H, with Portugal, Uruguay, and South, and South Korea. So not looking too good for them. Um, talk a little bit about the Fofana update. So originally, our $60 million offer was rejected. He came back with, with $70 million. The bid was rejected again. Um, but we've really got our eyes set on them and Chelsea are expected to go back in and reportedly willing to go beyond 80 million pounds for Wesley Fofana, um, which I mean, uh, apparently Fofana was surprised that Lester turned down 70. He thought that was a fair offer for them. I mean, he has his eyes set, I think on Chelsea, uh, he did play over the weekend. Leicester did. Start, uh, they started him. They played him the full ninety, which was kind of annoying. But he looked good. He was probably their best player, or best defender at least. Um, and I mean, Andreas, can you explain the financial fair play aspect with Fofana? Yeah. So you know. Rival fans are going to try to scare Mongrus on Twitter and whatnot, saying that we've overspent. But even if we spend big on Fofana, um, it won't put Chelsea in financial fair play jeopardy. Uh, it looks like we're still good on the uh, incoming and outgoings and the three-year window. That is the weird rules of financial fair play. Um, again, we've also offloaded a decent amount of players this summer. Um, we've let some players walk that had big contracts. Uh, the thing is that Bowley also has a plan to improve our our world marketing and, and how we can get some more money from uh, kind of sponsorships and deals like that because in the next financial fair play window, our uh, team wages will be part of what the UEFA looks at. And Chelsea has the second highest um, wage bill at the moment and that's probably because we still have a lot of dead wood to get out of our our books but there's a plan in place we're not gonna face any sort of sanctions or violations with wafa this time around and the ownership it, like the owners are, are already looking at the next set of rules and how they're working against uh potential uh bans and such then too all right it's time guys London Derby, Chelsea against Tottenham, who looked, who looked scary week one, I think. Not, not, not quite scary, but they looked great compared to what we look like. It's uh, not looking too great for us, um, but this game, this match will be at the bridge, so we have that at least in our favor 
Um, Spurs won their opener over Southampton 4-1. And, I mean, four goals without Son or Kane scoring any of them is scary. It's, it, I mean, we all know at the end of the day Spurs aren't winning shit. But for the second match of the season, I am scared. <laughs> um, but Well, we know, we know Conte's teams always have the most rigorous preseason out of anybody else. So they're going to be in shape. They're going to be fit. And uh, they usually start their seasons out in form. So it's not a surprise that a Conte team looks this spiffy early on. But yeah, man, I mean, I agree with you. I think I'm a little worried, honestly, about next week because they just look like they're a level ahead of us at the moment. See, this is where I'm surprisingly I'm feeling the other way. I still think because we have such a young, inexperienced side, they can show up for games like this. I feel like every time we have a North London Derby in recent history, it's Spurs are the team in form, and they're finally going to take it to Chelsea. And then it's always our guys who rise to the occasion. I think, sure, it's easy to look at the paper, but at the same time, like we always rise to the level of the opposition and somehow end up being the ones that frustrate the other side. Uh, whether it was making sure Liverpool didn't beat us in the league last season and then taking them to Pens twice, or the fact that we embarrassed Tottenham in like three times in two months when we had like the worst patch of form and Lukaku had done the interview and all that. When there's like, there's always a great cloud over Chelsea when this derby comes and we always come out on top. I expect a big week. I expect a big reaction. I don't see how the players can be content with last week's performance. And I know for a fact Tuchel wasn't either. So I think we're going to catch um, Spurs sleeping. I, I feel good. Maybe I it's wish, the wedding talking. I wish I shared your optimism. Hope you're right. <laughs> Listen, if we can find a way to squeeze one out, I mean that'll be huge just for the mentality of the players. Like, I feel like if we can get a big win here, that'll kind of spur us into form. And we'll kind of get banging from here on out, hopefully. It's, a, it's the first signings. match of the bridge. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the crowd's going to be up for it. I mean, granted that it's the first match of the bridge and you add the fact that it's Spurs. So let's see. I mean, it, I don't feel we... too good about it personally, but again, I'm not going to give a, a Chelsea loss as my prediction. I think I think if we do win this game, it's not going to be easy by any means. I think it'll be a one-goal margin. I, I mean, I don't think we're going to blow them out. I just think we're going to come out on top. Like, we're going to be up for the fight. And to look, like, a little bit down the line, it'd be great to get a result at home because then we could go on, on quite the win streak on paper, per se. You know, you got leads a week Leicester, a week Southampton before you go into another actually back-to-back weeks of London derbies. So it'd be great to go through August, even if it's scraping them out, but to beat Tottenham early on, even with, uh, it reminds me of Conte's second year when we had the weirdest starting 11. You know, we had a bad first week. I think we drew Burnley. Yeah, that's when Jeremy Boga started for us and Cahill got sent yep. off. And then, you know, Cahill came on for Boga because Bo- somebody else got a red card. Right? 
No, Cahill got sent off during against Burnley. Maybe that's what it was. But so yeah. we drew Burnley, and then you have Tottenham week two, and we played this weird like three five one one, and beat them. And even Bakayoko looked like a Premier League player in that match. So that's the kind of thing I'm 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 trying to summon those sort of energies. Well, Sam, mm-hmm. I predicted a one goal <laughs> victory for Chelsea. Who the fuck knows what the score is going to be? What do you think? If you're predicting a win by one goal, then the final score is going to be 1-0 because we're not scoring more than one goal. That's, <laughs> that's what your prediction is. Um, hmm. I abstain. <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not lawyer, giving my prediction. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going 2-1. I have a feeling like Spurs... You said Harry Kane and Son didn't score. I think they'll get one weird one because we are prone to get caught on a counter. But I still think Sterling will score. I think he'll get off the mark. And I'm going to say either Mount or Reese will get the other goal. Just like a Mm. big Chelsea moment. Kiss the badge. Suck at Spurs. Mm. Two to one moment. Yeah. I think my... My biggest fear or biggest worry is that we don't have Marcus Alonso for this match. <laughs> and he's usually the one who comes in and destroys Spurs. Um, yeah. Well, so... I'll tell you this much. Kovacic better fucking start. We, I mean, not just for the attacking, not just for the attacking purposes, but defensively, he has the ability to track back. <laughs> and he's actually physical, unlike Jorginho. We need it. We, we need him this game. It needs to be Kovacic and Conte in the midfield. Yeah, we need to be more direct in this one for sure. Yeah. I mean, their back line is still what? Dyer, Romero, and is, is did Langlais start the first match? I don't, I don't know I don't... if Langlais started or not, but they have, um, what's his face? Davidson? Yeah. Davison Sanchez. I don't know if he started mm-hmm. either. It was Ben Davies. Yeah, Ben Davies play on the right. left. I think, yeah. Give me Kovacic and Conte to torture Betancourt and Hoiberg and and let's get some let's get a win. Yeah, man. We definitely need to get we need we need another one here. Um and look, I think it'll be big, especially since we're most likely gonna wind up competing competing against Spurs for, you know, that third spot. Um at least as of now. So if we can get a leg up on them, that'd be great. Um, so anyways, fuck Spurs. That's the end of that preview. Um, fuck Spurs. Fuck Spurs. And if you're not uh, following us on Twitter already, please make sure that you are. Um, make sure you're looking out for our new episodes as well. Uh, we do try to post after every single match, um, either Sunday or Monday evenings. Um, so make sure you're looking out for our new pods. Let us know what you think. And uh, also ask us some questions, man. Uh, you can also get featured on the podcast. I know we didn't have a lot this week, um, so hopefully we'll get more calling on all the ultras. Um, start participating, man. The season started. You guys are in preseason form just like the team is. <laughs> so until next week, let's keep the blue flag flying high.